0: Nobody on the playoffs to Murphy. Left hand batter struck three call to the knees and right down the middle of the plate, but down Murphy sometimes go
1: Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Audit Bot podcast. Uh, My name is Justin Vibber. I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. And on this episode, we're going to continue our positional preview series with a look at third base. I think in general, our comments are going to be a little more favorable towards this position than the last two that we covered. Although I have, I might have some caveats to push back on that a little bit, but why don't we start talking about the, 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 top end here at third base the I will say that first of all, the surplus calculator after the Nolan Arenado trade to the Cardinals has Jose Ramirez clear tier above everybody else. On the updated values, he's forty three. So when, when dollars half. <clears throat>
0: Go ahead. When but. Arenado was on the Rockies, that was the top tier. Those two. Well, I think I think it, it
1: was still Ramirez. I pulled what I had. Arenado at on the old with the old values before the change. So the projections would have changed because of the change in home park. And he was $33. So he was still $10 less than Ramirez. But now he he was in second place at that point. But now he's not even the second best on the surplus calc. He's fifth, actually, for third base eligibility. It's Ramirez of just about 43 and a half. And then Rendon is second at 31 and a half. And then Devers at 31. So to me based on the surplus calf values. And I'm not saying that those are locked in stone. Those values have Ramirez as the clear top tier. So if you guys want to counteract that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Ramirez is the top guy, but I think that there's a couple of issues. There's a couple of projection issues. I would say that are influencing where surplus calculator puts guys that I think influences that top tier for me. One is projections just seem down on Rendon. And I like, I can't really figure out why, and I look at what he's done the last three, four, even five years, and it's like the projections are just like, nope, all of that was a fluke. He's much, much worse than that.
1: And and, and that's not a new effect, by the way. I feel like each of the last two or three seasons, that's been the case, where where the dollar values based they on those undersell projections, Rendon, have been, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So I think it's much more of a top tier of Rendon and Ramirez, and and I think Ramirez is first and Rendon is second, and. But I think it's pretty close. I also think I think the projections are overestimating the impact of leaving cores on Arenado, and I think we've seen this impact in the past with with Lemayhew and and others, where there's this sense that like they're losing this huge value and a, and a lack of understanding or a lack of that's not understanding, that's not the right word, but a lack of recognition of how much they gain by not having to play road games where all of a sudden curveballs exist.
0: Yeah, it's like um, such a more nuanced thing, right? And we've learned a lot more about how nuanced it is, so that that totally yeah. tracks.
2: And I think like one thing that I found really interesting with with Arenado is I was looking at his, you know, he one of the things he's very good at is he does not strike out a lot. And I was sort of curious to look at his home road splits and his on the, at home, let's start with at home. His career strikeout rate is 13.7%, which is, especially for a guy with his kind of power and his swing, like that's, that's incredible. On the road, his career strikeout rate is 16.3%, which is still pretty incredible for a guy with his bat. He was only at 8.1% strikeouts on the road last year. And so this, this is a guy who now all of a sudden is going to go from a place where on the road, he was consistently facing pitches, moving in a way that in half of his games he'd never had to face. And still didn't strike out very often. And now he's gonna have a much more consistent experience across his home and road games. I think he's I, I don't know, I think there's a lot of potential for him to really to, to really blow up in a big way, in a good way. And so I I'm 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 higher on him. Well let's than I hold, think on, the hold on, hold
0: on. What do you mean by what do you mean by blow up? Do you mean be, I, I his guess projections the, or do you mean be Nolan Arenado or do you think like there's even a room for being better than Nolan Arenado? No, I, I, think,
2: I think what I'm probably actually saying is just continue to be the Nolan Arenado he was right. before the unimportant, weird, hard to evaluate 2020 season, right? If you look at his Wobas by year going back to, let's say, 2016, just to pick a year, uh, 3.86, 3.95, 3.91, 3.92. Then last year he was at 3.08. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable. I, I, his projection then from depth charts is 3.50. I'm pretty comfortable taking the over on that 3.50
1: and by a lot. And, and by the way, that 3.50 is 3.37 for steamer and 3.63 for zips. And I believe that that zips has not been updated for the park change. So in fact, it would probably even go down. That 337 steamer is is shocking in some ways, given how low that is.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the other projections, ATC has them at 345, the Bat at 354, the Bat X at 344. I, like, they're all in that same place just around where depth charts is. That steamer one is super low to me. And I'm, I'm guessing some of that is StatCast influenced. Like, his StatCast numbers last year weren't great either. I just I don't know, maybe I'm just putting too little weight on that twenty twenty season. Maybe I'm just too comfortable throwing it out. But I think Arenado played twenty twenty under weirder circumstances than most given the trade speculation and everything else going on. Colorado was kind of a mess and he had to deal with all that. Like I I just look at all that and it's like I, I'm I'm willing to give him a pass and the the beauty for me as a as a fantasy player is I don't even have to pay the full price of that three ninety five, three ninety one, three ninety two. He put up the three years before. I could pay for him to be a three sixty, and it's going to be potentially enough to to win him at auction, if if people are looking at the projections and following that. And yeah, I don't know. It seems I don't... to me, I think he's more valuable than than people are accepting.
1: You, you bring up the weird short season in 2020, and I've, we've talked about it a lot, but one thing I don't think we've talked about is when to ignore it or when not to ignore it. And I feel like if you were going to throw out the short 2020, he might be the perfect example of that, where you have a veteran who's been consistent for six years, is still not over 30, right? He's not even 30 years old yet. So we're not talking about somebody who's 37 and might be facing a cliff at any moment. He's not going to hit the wall. So, that would be the one circumstance where, if I were going to choose to just throw 2020 out completely, that might be, he would fit that model to me. A, a young veteran who was very, very consistent. And 2020 is just a, a crazy outlier right now when you look at his player page. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his Savant page now, and it's, I mean, we're talking about 166 batted balls nine barrels like what like this isn't enough for me to no, change uh, my priors at least. no
1: not based on on his entire career right and, and all that other data that we have which is which is the point right like and that's it's a little surprising to see the projections so low on him even with the park change because they shouldn't be waiting 2020 that highly based on the smaller sample but I think Chad's right I think there's opportunity there to realize any sort of improvement above and beyond those projections closer to his career rate is just profit. And I don't know that it's, I I think there's still risk attached to that because we don't know exactly what he's going to do now that he's not playing in cores anymore. But I do agree with Chad that that move is probably a little overblown. And and just anecdotally, I don't really have any numbers or, or research to back this up. My impression when, I mean, I look at these projections every year, right? I mean, that's all I do is, is to stick my face in steamer and zips and everything else. It always seems like steamer gives a huge bump to players that are on the Rockies, the hitters, I should say the hitting players on the Rockies, even down to the prospect level. And then when they're no longer on the Rockies, it seems like their park adjustments are way more aggressive than they should be again. I can't justify that statement with any sort of research, but just based on looking at these over the years, it always seems like there's some fringy Rockies guys that pop up and bubble up on Steamer, and then they disappoint every year. And it just seems like they're giving too much of a boost uh, to those hitters, and and too much of a, a downgrade when they move off of Colorado.
0: Just the the last thing I want to say on Arenado before we move on, I I don't I don't think there's like a value play here. He's he's rostered in 30% of 37% of leagues right now at around $46. So I think a lot of people are already kind of on board with a lot of the stuff we just said here. And his last 10 is still 33 34, $33.6. So, you know, I think you're looking at exactly the number that I mean, like it sounds like he he's being valued at the price that surplus had him before the trade. So that's, and I think that's right, I mean, you know, based on what, especially Justin and Chad, like I think all three of us think that's probably the right way to treat him.
1: Yeah. I, the only other context I would add to that is that at, at his peak, he was probably a 40 to $45 right. third so, baseman. So, so,
0: we're, so we're, we're probably a little bit past peak Arenado, but I think he's still a very, very good third baseman. And I think, I think, I think you guys are both totally on point that if there was anyone's I mean, we're going to fall in this trap because it's a lot of like pick the narrative you want to pick. But this one, like the choose your own adventure definitely leads me to just ignore 2020 for Arenado.
2: So I think getting back to your initial question, Justin, of like that top tier, to me, I've got Ramirez as, as number one, Rendon just behind him. And then I've got Arenado next and I don't have him in that same tier. I think he's maybe in a tier by himself as the second tier might be how I would put it. But that's that's how I would view it. I think I think Ramirez and Rendon are both 40 plus dollar third basemen. I think Arenado can can be in the upper 30s, maybe the mid 30s, and 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 be a good value there. And then I've got a then I think there's a drop off to the next tier down. And I'm, you know, you mentioned Rafael Devers being sort of third in the current yeah. values. I. And very close to Arenado, right? Like within a dollar of Arenado or not. Within uh, Rendon. Rendon, yeah. 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 And I just, to me, Devers is down in that next tier with a a handful of other guys.
0: Would you pay $30 for Devers? No. Well, there you go. (laughs) That that was it. I I don't think I would. I I don't know that I would
1: either, even though he's $31 on on the surplus calculator. Yeah. Just because I think there are, unlike some of the other, like, especially like catcher. I mean, there's, there's very deep at, at third base. I feel like, and that's going to be one of the themes of this episode is, I mean, there's a dozen plus third basemen, and all of them, I'd feel comfortable running out there as my primary third baseman. So I'm not, I'm not going to say that I think that $30 on Devers is a mistake, but I also think that there's other options that you don't have to, you don't have to take as much risk as, as, as you would have by what? having Devers at 30.
2: I think it comes down to those tiers, right? If you believe there's a first tier or a first two tiers, even of Ramirez, Rendon, Devers, Arenado, in some order, then Devers might be the cheapest of those, and getting him at thirty dollars might be getting you the least expensive guy in that top tier, if you believe that. If you believe he's in the second tier, or the I guess you know if I'm calling Arenado the second tier, the third tier, the tier down from those top three then all of a sudden at $30, he's the most expensive of those guys. And he's not a good value. And so a lot of it comes down to to what you believe he's going to do. I think, you know, to to play a little devil's advocate on myself here, like he's a 24-year-old. He's not even – no, he just turned 24 a few months ago. He's coming up on his age 24 season. His age 22 season was absolutely incredible. And the reason I'm not a believer is because that age 22 season, 2019 – The big difference there was his K rate dropped significantly. His bat pip was up a little bit, but not anything crazy for him. His home run per fly ball rate wasn't anything crazy for him. He just struck out a whole lot less, but his chase rate has gone up every year of his career, including going into that 2018 or 2019 season. And I I just see a guy who I think is going to continue to have strikeout problems. And those strikeout problems are not going to stop his bat from being valuable, but it is going to stop him from being the $35, $40 player that I think some people think he can be.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and even in that short 2020 where we were just talking about Arnauto, you could throw it out. I mean, Devers, his contact rate plummeted in and out of the zone in the short 2020. And you're, and you're right. Yeah. The chase rate is, is trending in the wrong direction as well. So it, it's tough. I mean, it's, I think that the, 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 auto new managers that are invested in Devers are doing so because of that potential, but I think that there are other third basemen with nearly as much potential that might not cost what what Devers costs and might not have as much risk as Devers has. So, all right, let's move on then to start talking about our breakout picks. I'm gonna let Chad start because, to be honest, I I kind of sort of copied off of his notes that the two the two picks he had were sort of the first two names that I had in mind first. So. See, I'm, well. I'm gonna I'm gonna punt to Niv because this okay. is like my well, this, well, this guy. This is my guy. Oh, okay, this is I, my guy. I didn't so know
0: that so this is the thing. Chad and I have had a conversation about Alec Bohm going for about a year and a half. I think at this point involved in some of our co-managed uh, our our co-managed team on 649, also in League One, where I had Alec Bohm for a couple of years and I uh, had to trade him last year as part of a a win now situation. I am super high on Boehm. I think his skill set translates incredibly well. I think there's just like I miss on a lot of prospects, but there's a skill set of like a high walk rate, a very specific kind of like contact power that Altbohm like checks all the boxes off where I just like this is this to me it just looks like a surefire situation. He hit last year, right? Like he didn't he didn't crush the league, but he doesn't have to crush the league in his first year up. And I'm I'm really high on Alec Boehm. I think there's like, the, the problem in having him as our lead and our lead breakout, not our only breakout, but our lead breakout is that he's not available in your league. Like he's not available, right? So even going into auction. So it's kind of unfair, but I'm really excited to see from a baseball perspective, like a baseball fan perspective. Like I have a lot of friends who are Phillies fans and this is going to be the one time that I will not be annoyed by them being excited by one of their players. <laughs> like, it's just, I'm excited for Alkboom too, man. I think he he's he could be a really special player, and I'm, I'm really excited to see if he can put it all together.
2: Yeah, and I think you, you look at him, and you look at his his scouting reports, and I've got him up on Fangraphs right now, where they've got that really nice prospect report at the top of the page now, which I, I love. His hit tool is a current 55, future value 70.
0: Yeah, that's nuts. Like, it's,
2: that is it's a free- crazy. Yeah. And, and then his game power, they have it at 45, 50, but his raw power, they have it at 60, which means that they're basically like when I read that, when I see something like that with a raw power 60, game power future value of 50, what it tells me is the scout doesn't believe that he's going to tap into all of his raw power, but that power is there. Like right? recognizes it and it, it could exists, be tapped yeah. into. And so I, I look at a guy like that and I just, he seems like a guy he's going to get on base at a high clip. His his floor is high because he's going to get on base at a high clip and has such a strong hit tool.
0: And and honestly, the best part about it is that he doesn't have to he doesn't have to anchor that lineup. He gets to bat sixth or whatever, right? Like, or 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 fifth. Like he doesn't have to. A lot of times, prospects like this come up and they're just put in. Well, you're our savior, you know. Like, especially like given the pedigree and given like the history for Boehm and. You know they got real Muto. Whenever I guess he hurt his thumb, right? So there's a whole thing there. But and and Bryce Harper in that lineup, and I mean that he doesn't have to carry that lineup.
2: Yeah. So roster resource actually has him hitting second
0: this year, which, which... is also which makes sense. I mean that's like a strategically yeah. correct thing to do with a guy who walks that well.
2: It seems a little weird to me only because you've got Bryce Harper, and I would. Like, if I were building this lineup, I think I would have Harper in the two spot, Hoskins in the three spot, Real Muto in the four spot, and I'd worry about Bohm and McCutcheon around them. But, I'm, man, I might even let Bohm lead off, to be honest. Like, he's got that kind of on-base skill in me. Right, that's the point. Me. But regardless, I think he's, he's going to hit somewhere in the midst of that very strong lineup. And... Man, I, I just, I really, really like what he brings to the table. And it we've had this conversation going for a year and a half because at first I was sort of not convinced, mostly because I think the power wasn't really showing up the way I would like. But especially that 2019 season in, in you know, less than half a season in A he hit 14 home runs. And he started to unlock some of that power a little bit. And so now it's like, all right, well, if that starts to show up, he goes, he, he he jumps up a level. And so he didn't quite show it in the majors last year, but it was 44 games. It was less than 200 plate appearances. Like, let's let's give him some time and, and sort of see what develops. His hard hit rate was 46%, which is very good. His barrel rate was 9.5%, which has, could be better, but it's there's still like, very good. There's like
0: enough positive things to take out of his short 2020 that you... You just see the potential right and yeah. it's 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 not like the Dever, like just to contrast it with devers real quick like devers showed us every like not every negative but like any if if you ever wanted to build a negative case against devers you look at his 2020 and it's all there but bohm actually kind of builds the positive case for bohm with the, the way his 2020 went even though it wasn't like glittery numbers, like bottom line numbers, right? Yeah. And just to
2: be clear here, I am not saying by any means that given the choice between Boehm and Devers, I would take Boehm. That's not, like, for me, that is not the case. Right, right, Given right. the choice of Boehm at the price I think I'm going to have to pay for Bohm versus Devers at the price I think I'm going to have to pay for Devers, I'll take Bohm.
0: Right. And Boehm is less than $10 in a lot of leagues, So that, at that price, I think there's serious breakout potential.
2: The, um, the other name at third base that I think it, it falls into a similar space as Boehm is, is Q. Brian Hayes. It's it's really hard actually not to compare these two, given that they are both third basemen who came up last year in the state of Pennsylvania and surpassed expectations with BAPIPS over 400. Like there, there's a lot of similarities there from that regard. But the... And actually, they both have pretty strong hit tools. The skills are a little bit different. I think the big advantage Hayes has over Boehm is his defense will keep him in the lineup. If Boehm struggles, I, I don't, I don't think the Phillies are going to send him down at this point. I think it's pretty unlikely, but it's not impossible. Depending on what, how badly he struggles and what they think he needs, Hayes is he's in the lineup and he's going to be in the Pirates lineup until they trade him for mediocre pitching.
1: What what's very interesting to me about this whole conversation of Bohm and then and then the mention of Hayes is I was just like Niv last year. I was all in on Bohm. I, I I really in some ways Hayes was an afterthought for me. I had Bohm on many more rosters. I don't believe I had Hayes on any rosters. I have to say right now, as we talk about this breakout section of the of the episode, I'm all in on Hayes versus Bohm. He was a higher average exit velocity than Bohm last year. He had a less of a barrel percentage than than Boehm, but he lifted the ball more. He was at 7% launch angle, 7.4 versus Boehm at 4.8. So he's getting more lift, which is important. You want to be closer to 20% to maximize, you know, the, the home runs or not percent, but the 20 angle. He had a higher sweep spot percentage. He had a higher expected WOBA per stat cast. So to me, I think I flipped
0: around. Like to me last year, but Hayes was a blind but that's, spot. But that's, but that's on how many pitches, right? Or how many batted ball events?
1: Yes. 65 for Hayes and, and 126 for Boehm. That, that is completely granted. But I think the argument that I would make is that going into last year, Hayes and Bohm, I think were are both in terms of prospect ranking, very similar. And if anything, Bohm might've been a little lower. I was more attached to Boehm because he sort of fit that classic analytical profile of, of good numbers and those unsexy plate discipline characteristics that sometimes get underappreciated from the prospect community. So I was a little more focused on Boehm than I was Hayes. And now I feel like Hayes showed that he had just as good a bat as Bohm, at least in that small sample. And yes, that is a given. Absolutely. The sample is small. But I feel like I didn't respect enough the prospect pedigree and the prospect ranking that Hayes had. And Chad already made the, the great point that Hayes is going to be in the line. He's a very, very strong defensive third baseman.
0: Right. And I think that's one of the things that when Chad and I sort of disagreed on Boehm in the past, it was entirely oriented around that argument, right, Chad? Because right. like you would tell me about three other third base prospects that you thought were better because they would stick at third base or they'd get to play at third base and, and, and that's honestly, that's a weak point for Boehm compared to these other, compared to the other guys and the guys we're going to uh, talk about in the future.
1: Yeah. And, 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 just for some other context right now in the surplus calculator, Boehm is at $13 and Hayes is at $9. So just to sort of give a range there of what kind of value the projections are saying. So if we're saying breakout, then we're expecting above, well, not expecting, but we're saying that if they break out, it would be much higher than that as well. And I think both are good breakout candidates. I think they both can retain a lot of the value that they had last year in that short sample. But I think that I'm – especially because I'm very interested in what the price for those two would be, contrasted against each other. I would probably just roster whichever one I could get cheaper, and I think that's going to be Hayes. I could be wrong about that. I didn't look at what their average salaries are or their last 10 ads.
2: From a a trade perspective this this winter, because Niv mentioned this before, like – You said it with Bohm and it's true with Hayes. Like you're not going to get them at auction, maybe in a first year league, obviously in a first year league. But other than that, you're you're not going to get them at auction.
1: I think somebody caught a three dollar Hayes in one of my leagues. Or maybe
2: I was
0: looking at something. So Bohm. But but in
2: trade talks, I found that they were almost equally hard to acquire. Like when I talked to someone when when I would have trade talks with somebody who who rostered either one of them. It was basically, I've got my third baseman for the foreseeable future. This guy is going to be a top 10 third baseman from here on out. Why would I trade him? And it didn't matter which name it was. It was the same conversation.
0: So just real quick, Bohm, his last 10 is $9. He is rostered in 95% of leagues right now. This is being recorded on February 19th. So We just really have only had a few drafts. So that is that is just to contrast, Chris Bryan is 37% of leagues, right? Like, so it's a, it's a 95%, but Brian Hayes is not super far off, but a little bit less expensive. Last 10 is 450, about a buck cheaper, two bucks cheaper on average, And but rostered in 92% of leagues, 93% of leagues. So they're going to be hard to acquire and, and just not available in a lot of leagues. But, you know, we're looking at like 6 to $7 players that that surplus is putting it between nine and thirteen, but I think, both I think all of us would 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 not be shocked if they all had twenty dollars seasons. If, if both of them had twenty dollars seasons. Right, right. Yeah. I think the only
1: other name that I wanted to mention, and I'm not really going to dive too deep into it, is Bobby Dalbeck as a potential breakout third baseman. He's he's also like I mean, how many third basemen had their cup of coffee last year? and and absolutely blistered the ball. I mean, he he would fall into a similar range to me as far as what he did at the plate last year, but obviously he's got massive contact problems. I mean, he he had a 400 woba, but that was with a 42.4% k rate, which is not yeah, okay, I guess if you're Joey Gallo, you could maybe sustain something close to that, but you know, I don't know that that's realistic to to expect anybody to continue to do the projections are much lower on Dahlbach than they are for Hayes and Bohm. And I think that that is fair, but I do think that there's potential there. If he makes any gains with his contact percentage in 2019 in AA and in AAA for the Red Sox He organization, he did manage 25%, basically, and 24% in two stops. If he was anywhere near that with anything close to the power he showed in a, in a short sample last year... That's where that breakout potential is—that that he could explode and just be a real, true slugger who still strikes out a bit, but also hits the ball really, really hard.
2: Yeah, that that ISO is it jumps out. I need a three thirty eight ISO. Yeah. If I go back to twenty nineteen. Mike Trout and Christian Yelich were the only players in baseball who qualified for the batting title and had a ISO above three thirty eight. They were at three fifty three and three forty two. So his his power is it is very real. <laughs> yeah. But I I for me I just I think those that's a big strikeout gap to close. Right. Right. And I think he can make improvements there, but if he improves to 35%, that's probably man, you can survive there, you know, like I said Gallo exists, Miguel Sanó survives around there. But man, it really caps upside for him, I think. And I, I, I'm i not sure I'm ready to just assume he's going to maintain league-leading power. I, I think it's more... I, my, my big concern with him is that the strikeouts get a little bit better, but the power gets a lot worse. And he ends up back in AAA.
1: The The other complicating factor for Dahlbeck is he's probably not going to play a lot of third base this year either. I mean, he's, he's probably going to be their starting first baseman unless Devers is hurt. I don't know. I mean, maybe... Five games isn't a huge barrier to hit in order to retain eligibility for next year, but I think there's a lot more risk that he's a first base only next year. And and it doesn't, I will say, I don't think it changes the conversation drastically, losing third base eligibility and, and having only first base, but it does make a difference. So that's another aspect where I'm a little less enthusiastic about Dahlbeck because I think he's probably a first baseman long-term.
2: I, I, think, I think the fact, I think if you have him on your roster and you are thinking you're going to use him at third base next year, you should change your assumptions, right? Because Devers is going to play every day unless he gets hurt. And if he does get hurt, I don't think Dahlbeck is next in line for that position.
1: No, they may, they may shift some other guys around to, to do that. Yeah, I agree. So I think Um, the
2: other, the other breakout name that I think we have to mention is Vlad Guerrero jr. who. Is a different kind of breakout because he's still being paid a lot more in out of new leagues than those three guys are. But there is still a MVP caliber best in baseball type bat that, that exists in Vlad Guerrero. And there is, you know, for a guy who I think you can probably get in the mid 20s right now. He's one of the few guys who I think is going to get paid in the 20s and could easily double his value over the course of the season.
0: His last yeah. his last 10 is in the 30s, but he is a $25 average, twenty four sixty three average.
1: Yeah, I would expect him to be $30 in that yeah, range in first I, th- year. Th- that's league.
0: the challenge with him, I think. But, but I mean, you nailed it, Chad. Like, it definitely could be a best bat, like best bat in the league, best bat in baseball kind of situation. But... But you're going to pay for it, and you know he's he's rostered in ninety percent of leagues too. So I'm really interested in what this year is going to be. I think kind of defining for him in terms of the autumn new like valuation, like either he continues to go up and even attracts arb at its prices, or uh, there's going to be a lot of Lab Guerrero around to to get in the auction draft next year.
1: I and that's that's the one big issue for him is that he's been a little disappointing, and he he sort of was so hyped that. His price was already up there a little bit. This is also only going to be his age twenty two season. He hasn't yet turned, right, 20. which is
0: nuts. Like if you look at his lifetime with Vlad yeah. Guerrero, but
1: so I mean he's he's got two seasons of service time, but he this is that's at twenty and twenty one, and then this is going to be his age twenty two season. So a massive jump. Yeah, I mean I'm with Chad. I think it's it's definitely possible. It's just going to be hard unless you already roster him at a really really good rate you know, in a first year auction, I think he's going to be a $30 player. And that might be more than I'd I'd want to spend. Again, it's the same argument I made with Devers, right? There's other options that wouldn't cost nearly as much and have maybe not the same amount of upside, but the surplus potential upside might be might be the, the same when you're talking about guys like Boehm and, and Hayes. All right. I think we can shift into our value picks. Niv, why don't you go first? I, you had a a name there that that was interesting
0: yeah so uh, my name here is josh donaldson who had a really weird 2020 because of injury and like just availability he when he was healthy he hit and when he was not healthy he really didn't hit he is running about 19 bucks right now in auto new i wonder if he can get back to like this is not going to be like like, like what Chad said about Vlad uh, Jr., double up your situation. But like, are we moving from a $19 player to like, you know, he lives in the $25 to $28 range, I think. And he showed that bat last year when he was healthy. He just missed a lot of time in a short season. So it was really frustrating if you rostered him last year. So I wonder, I, I think there's probably just some value there. I think almost everyone who rostered donaldson last year will not bid on him in your auction draft and that will just drive the price down a little bit and I wonder if he could get back to being like a 25 26 dollars player again it's a good lineup he has an opportunity to be like i I think it's important to not have like for guys who aren't the top five hitters in baseball to not have to be the guy who carries their lineup i, I for my in my brain I just think that's like from a fantasy perspective, really helpful. And I think Josh Donaldson, you know, that that twins lineup is just solid top to bottom and he can hit in all kinds of different spots there. I know lineup construction is kind of a, kind of an, kind of artificial, but, but, you know, I, I think the twins lineup is good. and I think Donaldson fits into it nicely. So I think he could be useful next year, this season.
2: I think my concern with Donaldson is you go back over the last four years, he missed quarter to a third of 2017. He missed... Three quarters of two th- or two thirds, or so of 2018, played a full basic se- basically a full season 2019, and then missed half of 2020. He's had calf issues. Calf issues don't go away. I mean, there aren't a lot of people who are going to be super familiar with this case, but Lonnie Chisenhall was was basically at his career ended because he couldn't get back from calf right. injuries. I don't know. I look at Donaldson, and it's like. He's clearly in a decline. He's 35 years old. He has an injury issue that's going to be recurring. He can't be hidden at DH because they re-signed Nelson Cruz. And if he plays... I don't know. I look at like depth charts has him at 136 games with a 354 WOBA. I think he might be able to reach that WOBA, but I don't think it's a particularly... Do you think
0: he plays a achieved 130 number?
2: games this year? And I don't think he plays 136 games. If you're giving me an over under at 135 and a half, I'll take the under.
0: But what if I gave it to you at 130?
2: I'd still take the under. I bet. I, I think. Like I think if you look at his 2017. He played 113 games. I think that's a pretty solid.
0: That's guess. that's where he's at.
2: Yeah, and I just I don't know. I think.
0: I'll take the over on that. We can rec- we can revisit that one at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I would have said over-under was probably 120 games for me, so right around.
0: Yeah. So
2: I just – I think he – I don't know. We'll see. I think that he's going to – I don't think he's going to age particularly well because of these calf injuries, and I think he's yeah, going to that- miss a lot of time, and I think it's going to start to impact his, his bat the way I, I – you know, he's – he's been in basically there was that big dip in 2018. If you write that off due to injury, he's still in like a four or five year decline on his Woba. Right. He went from 403 in 2016, 396 in 2017. Let's ignore 2018, which was 345, then 377, 362.
0: I, yeah. But I don't know. This, this decline is coming from a really high place, right? Yeah. Know, not, I'm not saying he's a $50 player by any means, but I do think, I think there's just opportunity there. I think his price is going to be really low, and I think if you needed a third baseman, I think like if you if you snag him in the twenty to twenty five dollar range, or maybe not twenty five, but a little bit less than that, like I think there's just uh, opportunity there. I don't. I I think you know Chad, you do bring up good points with the health, and the health is like just the question with him. That's that's a hundred percent the question, but but if he can beat 120, 125 games played. I I think, you know, if, if you're talking about 125 games played in like a 355 WOBA, 360 WOBA, like somewhere in there, that that's not nothing, man. That's a pretty good piece. And again, like we, and, and this also ties into what we've been talking about in my brain, at least about third base. Third base is a deep place. If you get 120 games, 130 games out of your starter, you should be able to find 30 other really pretty solid third base games without having to like this isn't catcher right this isn't like so like, this is what we were talking about in our prep for this just third base is not catcher and it's great like we love it and and so i think you can play around a little bit here i i i think we should maybe move on to some of the other well, uh, I, value names but go i ahead, just Justin.
1: i just wanted to respond real quick. so on the on the surplus calculator he's 20 and a half it looks like Chad's got him in the ten dollar tier, so maybe in that ten to fifteen dollar range on his rankings. I'd be buying Donaldson at fifteen. I think he fits that classic archetype of a value at auction because he's he's older and he's injury prone, and it's just not exciting. And yeah, pay attention to that price. If he creeps up to twenty dollars, I'd probably say no. But I don't think he's going to cost that much. And I think if you're if you're like Niv said, you can you can mix and match at third base even if he only gives you one hundred and ten games. That's not the end of the world if he's doing it at 365 WOBA. That'll play even at 110 games. It doesn't hurt as much, and Niv's right about that. About as, as some of the other positions, as, as far as how much lower you have to go from there.
0: Uh, I I I want to write it down next to next to who, do, who was this other one we had next to Gary oh, Sanchez, keeping, right? Keeping I, your, my your prediction notes. notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to put uh, 120 games over under on Donaldson. Okay. We can revisit that. And we'll see reason. how
1: we do on those and. How many of those we get close on?
0: Okay, uh, let's let's move
1: into some other picks for value. The one name that I wanted to mention is Eugenio Suarez, sort of a forgotten man. I feel like at the position, and I know that some of it is he didn't have a very good 2020, but I think the the skills were still there. It was he he had a 214 BABIP, which is obviously very low. His contact rate was a little bit worse. He walked more. The ISO was still 268. So I think that he's still mostly the same guy he's been in the years before 2020. He was a 381 in a Woba in 2019, a 376 in 2018. He's only projected for the depth chart projections at 344. I think that's too low, but he's still a $20 player on the surplus calc. Just, he's basically tied with Josh Donaldson, but I think he has more upside and I don't know that he's he's going to cost more than I think he's worth. So I think he's a value pick as somebody who's sort of forgotten in the position right now.
2: I did a, I did an article over at Pitcher List called Hiding in Plain Sight, just about guys who had really good seasons that were masked because their first couple weeks were terrible. And, and what I was sort of trying to get at with that was, you know, there was no real spring training. Are there guys who just needed some time to get their swing in shape against live pitching? Through August 13th, Suarez had a 250 WOBA, which is obviously... Not good to say the least. The Reds then had their COVID outbreak and they had a few days off and they didn't play. They came back with a double header on the 19th. And including that double header, the first game of that double header, he went 0 for 3. But including that game, because I can't break the data by game, I can only break it by day. He had a 374 Woba the rest of the season, despite a 241 Bapip. And so I, I look at that and I'm just like, you know what? I think. I think Suarez is, is the guy he looked like he was before last year, and that's a really, really valuable third baseman.
1: And he's another one who, just like Arenado, he's not yet 30. So we're not talking about an, any sort of age-related decline that we should be expecting right now. So I think he's a very strong bounce-back candidate, and that makes him a value in, in auction this year. Chad, I think you had one name that you wanted to talk about, and I'm going to abstain from this entire conversation for reasons that will become clear in a moment.
2: <laughs> so our Justin, as our resident Cubs fan, does not want to talk about Chris Bryant, but I want to talk about Chris Bryant because I also um, want to talk about Chris Bryant. We should talk about Chris Bryant then. That seems like a good idea. Yeah, that uh, Chris right. Bryant was terrible in 2020, but I think again using the the Arenado standard of a veteran who's been been consistently good. He's had basically five full seasons. There's a little bit of a short in 2018 because of injury leading into 2020 with Wobas of 371, 396, 399, then a drop down to 359 and a climb back up to 379. And then he had this 285 in 2020. And I look at that 285 and I look at his projections like depth charts has him at 345, which would be his worst full season other than 2020. And I just, I don't buy it. I don't think he is a fundamentally worse player than he was before. I think that 2020 was weird. I think that he is not as good as he showed in 2016 and 2017, at least not anymore. He's also 29. He's starting to get a little bit older. He's still in those prime years, but I don't think he's going to get back to that nearly 400 WOBA he was at before. But his career line of 378, like he was at 379 in 2019, and, and you've got a projection from depth charts at 345, like I will very happily pay for a 345 from Chris Bryant and ride him all season while he posts at 370.
0: Um, I'm going to say a couple of soft things in, in support of what Chad just said, but the soft thing being like, now we have quotes of him saying he didn't have fun last year, right? We have quotes of him saying like baseball, became unfun for him and he has to figure out how to get that back. I feel like quotes like that only come out either when you're trying to be traded uh, and you would be much stronger in that language, or you're literally just saying like, I am coming back around to it. And I imagine for a lot of people, baseball, a lot of baseball players, it wasn't particularly fun to play baseball in 2020 with the pandemic and everything going on. But I think when you acknowledge things like that and you're saying things like that publicly, that indicates to me that there is potential for him to just like be a little bit more focused on baseball this year because he's recognizing it as a problem. The other thing I want to add about Chris Bryant is he is 22% rostered, 22.26% rostered, and his average and median are both low 30s, $33, $32. But his last 10 is only 25 and I am just super fascinated, to, uh, super excited, I guess, to find out what his average salary looks like on opening day i i have no idea like like given that information that i just said like if he's in the low 20s he's absolutely a value play like the, the, i i think like there's not there's too much track record to ignore it but you know he is the people who kept him in the low 30s who who like that are driving in in his in mid 30s that are driving that overall average up I wonder if that means that the auction, at auction, he's also going to go for like low to mid thirties, and that'll be a little bit tougher to, to defend like the full out value. That's just sort of maybe where he, where he is as a third baseman. The last thing, and I think Justin, you can probably comment on this. This is one of the places we we talked about this before the show. He has outfield eligibility, and we've gone back and forth like when we talked about Bellinger during the first base episode. Uh, we had to talk about Bellinger because Bellinger's that good, but if you have them, you probably want to play them at outfield. Why, I, I'm just going to let Justin answer this. Why does this not hold for third base th- players who have third base outfield eligibility?
1: Yeah, for me and ba- and based on on looking at the positional baselines, third base and outfielder are, are functionally equivalent with the, with the baseline. And the only reason that I default to putting a guy like Brian who has third base outfield eligibility at outfield is that The you just need so many more outfielders that I need to have him in the pool. Right. But really, if you give a guy third base who had outfield, it doesn't really change his value much and, and vice versa. They're basically, year over year, those baselines have been almost identical. So it's a toss up. And so, yeah. So, I mean, normally we wouldn't necessarily cover a guy like Bryant in this episode because he does have what I consider a higher, based on my hierarchy, a more valuable position, but it's basically a toss-up. So it made sense to talk about him now, especially because we have outfield episodes. There's going to be so many more players that we're going to discuss on that episode that it made more sense to discuss them here. But yeah, that's why. they're. they're I'm, I'm counting outfield as more valuable, but really they're tied for all intents and purposes. And
0: then just on that, on exactly that thought, that's why we're not talking about Alex Bregman, right?
1: Right, because it's because it, he is more valuable at shortstop, because and it's a better place. But to, it's
0: important to note, because of the COVID rule changes, he still has shortstop eligibility right, right. in auto-new. So that we'll be talking about Bregman in our 2022 third base, probably.
1: Right, and then, and then we'll have to have conversations about where he slots in there. So yes, and then I think we're going to have a lot of players, I think, next year where we're going to be talking about you know a handful a
0: big change at every position that they they lost yeah Yeah. because again like 2020 we just didn't count it for eligibility you could gain but you couldn't lose but i think it it showed directionally where players are going to be right and i think it made it clear like who will be playing who will lose eligibility in 2021 is kind of already indicated in a way yep yep anyway
1: we're not going to talk about these too much because we're gonna. We want to move on to the bus section. But the other values that I sort of had noted on our, on our episode notes were Renato Nunez and Justin Turner. Again, Nunez maybe a little bit more upside, just he's a little bit younger. But both of those players, I think, are players that I would expect at auction to not cost as much as they should. So they're guys that I'm paying attention to I think to, to to scoop.
0: The tiger, the Tigers signed Nunez, right? And I think that's just like, a great a great tri- play for them
1: and and that's one of those situations where in general you want to roster players that are on better teams because they're going to get they're going to get more times through the order, you know, they're going to get accumulate more plate appearances because the offense is better so they're getting up to the plate more often. But the other side of that coin is that players on bad teams are going to get a lot of run especially if they're in sort of a rebuilding cycle. Like no one's
0: taking Nuñez's spot in the lineup. Well, See, I, well, that's what that's actually Well, I, that's I don't think 100%, right? Because I think Nuñez Okay, well, go ahead, Chad. Go ahead. Yeah,
2: I just think I think if you look at Nunez and the, and the Tigers, they've got Candelario, they've got Paredes, they've got Torkelson coming for a corner yeah, spot sometime soon. Like I actually think they're getting crowded, and I think that they're going to get crowded there in a way that unless Candelario falls off, right? Candelario or Nunez. I think if I had like to bet, guys, if
0: I had to bet on one of those two, I would bet Nunez every time.
2: That that may be a fair bet. I'm and I'm not I'm not here to compare them necessarily. I'm saying those are the two who potentially become the odd man out, right? If Torkelson and Perez establish point, yeah. themselves, those guys are the future. Right? Those guys are the guys the Tigers are going to default to if they can. And if those two guys claim two spots, then you've got a DH spot left, maybe. No, you've got Miggy in the DH spot. So at least right. for now,
0: I, like well, I, I know we're going to talk about Torkelson in a minute, but. Well, OK, I'm going to just save the Torkelson thing for a second. Let's let co- let's come back to that and let's talk a little bit about, do you want to talk about Justin Turner at all? Is there anything you want to say about him?
1: Really not, not a whole lot. I like think he's been a value for the last couple of years where he just, you know, doesn't go for as much as I expect him to at auction. So I think that's going to continue. He's he's getting older and yes, there's, there are those risks associated with that, but re-upping with the Dodgers, we know what we're going to get with, with Justin Turner. So I think it's a safe value pick in that tier that he he's in sort of that on the surplus calculator, sixteen dollars. So I think um, in that range, I I roster him in a lot of places because of that very reason. That because I'm price sensitive and I'm I'm getting guys that I think are at a discount. And I think Turner is going to be continue to be that kind of player. So let's move on to our bust picks, and then we'll circle into prospects where we will definitely be discussing Torkelson. I'm going to let you go, Chad, because I really just sort of piggybacked off your your pick because I didn't have a better idea. So
2: yeah, I just think. I think we know who Yon Mankata is, and I think he's not who people who he looked like in 2019. I think he's he's been a relatively consistent, low 30 strikeout. He walks a decent amount, you know, 10 to 12%. He hits the ball hard when he hits the ball, but he strikes out a ton, and his hard hit and barrel rates are more good than great. And so I think he's just... The ceiling's not that high and the floor is pretty low and I'm just I am just straight up out on Mankata. I would be very surprised if I end up rostering him anywhere only because I legitimately think he's like a four or five dollar guy. And I know there are people out there who think he's a twenty dollar guy. And I think he's gonna go for $15, 20 bucks in a lot of places, and I am gonna I am just I'm just not interested. He'll certainly go into like six, seven, eight bucks everywhere. And I won't pay that for him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's probably in most leagues in a new first year league would probably be $15. I mean, maybe that would be my over underline for where he's going to go. He's $9 on the surplus calculator. That seems about right to me. I'm maybe not quite as low as Chad on him just because I think he does have, again, I mean, I, sometimes I fall back on that. Some of these guys that that have a lot of prospect pedigree, even though the projections never really liked them, I don't want to completely write them off. I was burned by Lindor a number of years ago, so I still have wounds from that. So I don't want to completely say that this is who he is, but I think that also we have to at least take that as the baseline. What he's done in his career so far, and in in this case, it's a 335 weighted on base, and the depth chart projections are at 330, so a little less than his career average. I'd probably put the over under at right around that career average, of 335, maybe slightly higher. So I think nine or ten dollars is fine. I think fifteen or, heaven forbid, twenty dollars is too much for Mankata for sure. I think this is definitely to me the one obvious bus call at the position.
0: Yeah. So on on top of I think Mankata is is probably the right one. I I wrote Urshela in our notes. I don't think Urshela is. Ever gonna go twenty dollars in an auction or anything like that. I just I just want this podcast to be on record saying that Yankee magic is not a real thing. And if you're a twenty-eight year old third baseman that magically became good because you're playing at Yankee Stadium, that isn't gonna stick. And like let's believe in science and let's believe in facts, right? Like this is this has just gone far enough. I, I'm speaking as a wounded Indian. I, I was going to say, I feel like <laughs> that, that context is important to mention, that if he was still in the Cleveland organization, he'd yeah, no, be I'd, saying I'd the be same thing. Yeah, no, I'd be buying in. Let's do it. 28-year-old isn't too late for a breakout. 29's not too late. But, you know, I don't, it's not a thing where you're going to get burned by Urshela. The prices I'm looking at it right now, it's 85 or 84% rostered and... Sitting between six and seven dollars on those teams, five dollars in his last ten. This is not a thing where you're going to get burned by Urshela. but I just, if if anyone is out there ex- like penciling in the same slash line he had last year, I don't I don't think that's a reasonable bet. That's all I would say about that. Yeah, Actually, I, mean, I,
2: I sort of wish Urshela had other positional eligibility. Like I wish he were a third base slash outfield guy. Because I'd I'd be very happy to roster him at the prices I think he's going for. Right. Well, you don't not because I think he'll repeat what he's done. First of all, I think it's worth noting it's not just what he did last year. Right. Twenty nineteen, he had a three sixty nine woe, but twenty twenty, it was three sixty five. So he's he's now done it two straight years. I, I still am sort of with you. I think that there's a lot more decline coming. I think the projections that, you know, depth charts has him at 325, ATC is the high man at 334, somewhere in that range seems right to me. But I think it's worth noting that he comes with a lot of upside, right? Because he could just pick up where he left off. Because his
0: price is still below a 360 Woba third baseman.
2: That's right. And I think the challenge I'm having with him is there are so many third basemen I like who I'm more confident in that I'm never going to end up rostering Urshela. And because I'm just, I'm I'm so rarely going to carry two pure third basemen. And if I do, they're going to be better than him, or at least more predictable than him, I guess I would say. I wish he had something else or, you know, otherwise I'm, I'm where I roster him, I'll end up rostering him almost as a prospect.
1: Right. Right.
0: That's, that's hilarious, right? I mean, given the age. But that, it's true. Totally I mean,
1: it, you, right. It's it's a, It comes down to your acceptance of, of that variance. Because I agree with Chad, like, for the rankings he's going I, at.
0: I, I guess, like, the way I'd say it is, like, from a bust, breakout, value, whatever this, like, our breakout, or, or, our, our different sections are, he best fits into bust. Because I think there is always going to be someone in your league that will not roster him like a prospect, will roster him as... My everyday starting third baseman, right? And I think if you could have that option to be like, I would love this guy to be my backup third baseman. Like, pair him with Donaldson. Like, yes, great, awesome. But I don't think uh, a lot of leagues are going to get that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think for with that context, yes, I think if you're if you're expecting him to be like a lower tier, like you're you're going cheap on the position and he's your starting third baseman. No, I think that's that's a bust, and you're you're making a mistake there. So, I agree with that with that context, and I think that there are enough Yankees fans and Urshela believers that that he will start to creep up in that range where he's the twelfth or thirteenth most expensive is, third baseman in your league. So this
0: is just just to give full context, League one is has a classic Yankees fan mm-hmm. in it. So there's just. There's opportunity if you have Ursella in League One to get a lot of, of return, and it's just a thing where we're not, no one's going to get them for, for five bucks as to be able to be a backup third baseman, and I think if you're in a league where you know there's a known Yankees fan, like, just be aware, right? Yeah. Trade them. All
1: right, let's, let's move on to prospects. We already sort of mentioned Torkelson. I think at this point, we also talked about him on the first base episode, but I think Right now, we have to believe the Tigers that they're going to give him run at third yeah, base. Yeah, so what's the
0: story there? He is... Su- the- well, we don't know exactly, right? Because he hasn't, right. he hasn't played. But they think um, he could be a third baseman?
1: I think that they they announced him even when they drafted him as a third baseman, if I recall correctly. So I think they're at least going to try him there to see if he's athletic enough to, to man the position, which makes sense because the bat's going to play no matter where he is, whether he's a first base a DH or, you know, what. I think the bat is going to play no matter where he is, but they can get more value out of him if he at least take a chance on him playing at third.
2: I'm not thinking of him as a third baseman for this year only because, well, two things. One, I don't think that he's going to be a good enough fielder to move quickly at third base. Yeah. Right. And so I think the Tigers are going to be stuck in a position where if they really think he's showing growth at third base, he's going to spend this entire year in the minors becoming a third baseman, and then he'll come up next year as a third baseman.
0: Right, so that was my other question.
2: This year, it's likely before—he'll like start at third base, they'll realize they want him to move quicker than he's moving, they'll move him back to first base, and he'll come up as a first baseman or DH.
0: Right, so that's that's my question related to Renato Nunez, like, do you guys— think we're going to see Torkelson this year like putting aside like third base first base which I think I I think Chad sort of mapped out a really good decision tree there but do you think we're actually going to get to see Torkelson in the major leagues this year like keeping in mind it was just alternate training alternate spring training last year basically right like the minor camp stuff whatever that was and he hasn't really seen pitchers that aren't on his team in the pros so like do like it seems to me like i, I feel like conventional vi- wisdom has gotten to a point where torkelson is going to be get a cup of coffee at least this year if not more and i and i kind of think under on that like i don't think he's going to get i mean i i understand that but i think for me i mean he was the first pick
1: overall on on the back of his bat being right. so advanced as a college hitter and i i think you don't there's no reason to keep him down in the minors. I mean, I, there is. There are reasons. We don't need to get into the, the, the financial reasons why there are. But I feel like functionally, in terms of his baseball ability, there's very little reason to keep him in the minors. I'm very curious. Unless you think why, he's
2: a third baseman.
1: Well, and and, and and I was just looking at his his college game log. Well, not game logs, but his, his register on baseball reference. He didn't play at third base in college either. He did get time in the outfield. But he didn't have a single game at third base in college. I'm a little surprised that they're not thinking about him in left field, for example, and and trying that first before shifting him to third base. I think it's,
2: we, we make fun of teams all the time for the like, oh, this guy needs to work on his defense because it's yeah. the excuse they can use for anything because it's so hard to measure and it's so subjective right. and blah, blah, blah. But like this is the legitimate case where either he's your first baseman slash DH for the next 15 years or he actually has to work on his defense, and he actually should spend this entire year in the minors working on his defense.
0: He, fan, sorry, Chad, to interrupt you, but his Fangraphs page has his ETA as 2022. I think that seems, to me, that seems right. Now that, again, that ties back to my Renato Nunez kind of like in light endorsement. Like, I think for the, like, I think Nunez is probably going to get enough run because I think Torkelson is not going to get he's he's 22 years old or he'll be is 21 and a half year like it just seems a little early to throw him to the wolves especially given the bat is good and you can like just just let him like let him start in high a and get to triple a in one year right then he gets to play in the majors in his age 22 year and that to me makes that to me is exactly the arc and it seems to me that the the Tigers sort of know that they have like this really interesting class right now. And I would be surprised if they decide to start rushing it just because Spencer Torkelson's bat is, you know, to, to both of your points, like he is elite, right. Or is like at least ready to be tested.
1: Yeah. I mean, they don't have to rush him. It's just, it's, it's interesting to me because I feel like he's almost a case study for is it more important to accrue an additional year of experience in the minor leagues or is it is it more important to be a little bit older like that he is a year older than he was this time last year does that physical maturity does that make a difference does the fact that he was you know getting a lot of instructional time even though he wasn't playing live games does that matter and and i we don't know the answer to that question but yeah I feel like maybe it matters more than we think it does, that he's not going to need a full season in the minor leagues, even if he's trying to learn a new defensive position. I think that a 2022 ETA is fine. I think that's appropriate as like an over-under. I would agree with that, but I think that there's a very real chance that he's up this year. And even potentially playing third base. It's more likely that he plays enough third base in the minors that he gains eligibility. And then if he gets called up, maybe he's getting first base in DH time because they don't want to, they just want to get the bat in the lineup and they're not going to monkey around anymore with, you know, having him learn the position live in the major leagues. But I, I don't know. It's, it, Th- th- this entire fact of these players, I mean, he was a, the number one overall draft pick as a college player. He, normally, that's a player that we would be talking about him debuting this year, no doubt, you know, with a full minor league season. Uh, it's just right. It, just it, it, losing
0: it's, losing 2020. It, I it feel
1: definitely... like it, it, I, I'm trying to remember. if There was an article I read that said that, you know, there's two ends of the spectrum where the players that are really hurt by that lost season. It's the the really young players that are far away and it's the closer ETA players that that really just need a little bit of time. They're, They're not going get to get to graduate
0: on opening day, right? Right. Right. So, I, I
1: don't think anybody knows for sure exactly what's going to happen with the with that class of player. But you
0: guys humored me on Torkelson, but I think there are two other third base prospects that come in ahead of Torkelson.
1: Yeah, and I think Chad is going to be very excited to mention one of them.
0: I'm just going to let Chad do it, even though I'm <laughs> the same homer that Chad is. We just, we'll just blame
1: Chad for the homerism. <laughs> Niv gets a pass. For, I get a pass. For reasons we don't need to...
2: <sighs> well... I'll take the ball. Because that's fine <laughs> because this guy is gonna be legitimately good, so it's okay. Yeah, I am oh, excited okay. here. Too, here man. comes the confidence. No, I, I, right. I I'm a I'm a big fan of Nolan Jones. I think a little bit like the conversation we were having about Alec Bohm before. He's a guy who gets on base. He gets on base in a different way. He's more of a more of a traditional three true outcomes kind of guy where he he walks a lot. He actually doesn't strike out a ton, but he strikes out a little more than Bohm does. But he controls the zone very well. He swings at what he can swing at or what he can hit. He makes really good, hard contact. His raw power rates out at a 70 per, per fan graphs. Game power is still 50, 65, but like, that was two years ago, so who knows where it is now. But he's a guy who I think is going to come up and post high on base percentages driven by a high walk rate and hit a lot of home runs. And I, I think he's going to, when he makes contact, it's going to be loud. I think he's going to strike out a decent amount. And so the question, the big question will be how, how does he handle controlling those strikeouts, but I'm super intrigued by what he brings.
0: I think the context for the album Bohm conversation before was a lot of it was in relation to, to Nolan Jones, right? Like we were, and I think there, you know, there's a similarity there that's exciting or whatever. And when Chad and I were going back and forth, especially in, in the, the team we co-managed in the, the most previous season, you, you were really a supporter of Jones versus Boehm and I, I, I imagine this because of the glove. like I think that was like where we landed on that. like not because of the glove purely because he's a defensively great third baseman, but because he's gonna stick at third base in a way that like when we were in 2020 and there was an NLDH, we weren't 100% sure Boehm was going to be a third baseman.
2: Yeah, I, part of it's that. Although I think Jones is probably likely an outfielder at this point, just given the the makeup of right.
0: His, that's his organization, his, but his end game for sure. Yeah, yep. but I
2: but I think the bigger thing for me is I will bet on plate discipline over a hit tool. And I think that's the difference between them. Right? Is is Boehm is a little like Boehm has it's decent plate a little
0: discipline bit in. more. Yeah, he's,
2: he's more hit tool. He's more sort of a Michael Brantley type to use another Cleveland guy as an example, and. I think I'm I'm more willing to bet on a guy who really has a good sense of the strike zone, maintaining that when they get to the majors and being able, still being able to read pitches, still being able to make the right decisions in the batter box, than I am on a guy who's mostly hit tool, being able to translate that hit tool to major league pitching. And that I think is for me the difference between Jones or it was a year ago the difference between Jones and Bohm. Obviously, things have changed because Bohm has shown a little bit more
0: what he can do. Yeah, I think they're I think they're incredibly similar, right? And so like all the positive things we said about Bohm before, now now I'm feeling like like I'm feeling very positive about both of them. Right. I, I don't I don't know, I don't want to belabor it because I'm as homery as Chad is about this guy. So uh, well and, and I and I have to say, as much as I was
1: giving uh, Chad and, and, and a little bit Niv a hard time about this pick, I, I agree with it hundred percent. I think Dan Zimborski just released his Zips Top One Hundred Prospects. Nolan Jones is sixth overall on that list. So there's a sort of data stats analytical basis for really liking Nolan Jones his double a season in 2019 where he had a 14.7% walk rate is the lowest walk rate he's had at any single stop throughout his minor league career the guy gets on base and he walks a lot he's got enough power runs a high babb so he's got a hit tool i mean there's a lot to like here and and i think that it's interesting to compare him against the other nolan nolan gorman who is further away is ranked very closely on most prospects lists to Nolan Jones, but Nolan Jones is the better auto new target because he, it does have a closer ETA. Although I do believe Nolan Gorman is, is as good a prospect if you were thinking like a dynasty league, but because he's a probably two years behind Nolan Jones on ETA, but he's definitely another name that I wouldn't forget about at the, at the position as, if you're prospecting.
2: And Gorman is going to find himself in a similar position in Nolan Jones, where third base is suddenly locked up for the foreseeable future, it seems. That's right. That's right. And he is supposedly coming to camp and working as a second baseman. And given the state of second base right now at the major league level, uh, Gorman, if he can stick there and not even stick there very long, stick there long enough to earn eligibility so that when he comes up, he's a second baseman for auto new purposes. Give us Uh, two
0: years of eligibility, Nolan.
2: Yeah, it's a huge (laughs) jump in his value. Now, I I think, does he come up this year? I don't know. Fangraphs has him with the 2021 ETA, but we haven't seen him above high A, and now they're potentially trying him in a new position. And I I just, I'm a little skeptical of that. I think let's see how he handles double A and maybe triple A. But he also seems like the kind of guy that could just skip right up from double A. And if he handles second base well... The Cardinals are a team that are going to be trying to compete in a pretty weak division and Gorman could really make a difference. I mean, I I know there's people out there who really like Tommy Edman, but I think if Gorman shows he can stick at second base, moving Tommy Edmund into a super utility role and letting Gorman take over is is a pretty nice little upgrade for that team.
1: Yeah, I agree. All right. Do we want to talk real quick about general strategy at the position? I, I, For me, I I feel like the last couple of years, I've found myself in a position where I've had two mid-tier third basemen on my roster, one who's obviously starting at third base, and then the other one is slotting in as my everyday utility. I think that's just a function of sometimes me liking the values at the position. We've been talking about how deep it is all episode. But I think Chad mentioned this earlier. Another thing that I definitely do is... I'll have one third baseman who's my primary, and then the backup is somebody who has an eligibility somewhere else, whether that's JD Davis or DJ LeMayhew as, a, as an emergency backup third baseman or something like that. I think that's another very viable option where you have one third base only, and then you have a couple other guys who have split eligibility that can move over there if you need them to.
2: Yeah, and I think I think part of the reason there's decent values at third base is because most people don't carry multiple third basemen. Like, I think it's very easy to just find your guy. And there's so many that everybody has a third baseman. They're like, yeah, I don't need someone else. I'm really happy with this. When I look at my teams, I don't know that I have, like, I've got a team where I have Rendon and then I've got, like, Ian Happ as a middle infielder. I've got Jeff McNeil on that team as a middle infielder. You know, the draft I just finished for 670, I ended up with J.D. Davis and Yoshi Tsutsugo as outfielders. And that's it. I don't really have anyone else. I've got, I've got a couple of middle infielders. I think Willie Castro qualifies at third base as well. But like, I didn't go out and find a backup. I have Boehm as my starter in that league and that was it. And that's, and if he struggles, I've got other guys I can slot in there, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking for a backup there. And so my strategy at third base tends to be like, just find a guy who has a good value and get him. And that's that. And, And then if more value falls in my lap, Great. The one league I think where I've got, I think there's only one league I can think of where I really have multiple third basemen. I think, and that's in League One, where just due to off-season trades, I I ended up taking
0: Ren. I took Rendon off your hands in that league because you had so many third basemen.
2: Well, I had I had i had Rendon at $45 and Eugenio Suarez at 17, and I was just right. like, I can't keep both these guys, it doesn't make any sense. And then in a subsequent later trade, I had a chance to get Alec Bohm and decided, okay, fine, I can have an $8 Alec Bohm. And now I'm looking at that roster and I've got like Hoskins, Voigt, Suarez, and Bohm all at the corners, and it's like it's almost too much, and so Alec Boehm is likely going to spend a lot of time on my bench in that league until I figure out what else to do with
0: him. It's going to um, be it's going to be your prestige league third baseman. Though I'll tell you that right now.
2: Yeah. Well, this this team, and <laughs> it's it's actually I signed this team up for the prestige league, and part of the reason I did that is I have depth at a couple of positions. I've got uh, Jake Cronenworth on that team who qualifies in a bunch Great. of spots and can fill in.
0: Beautiful, a beautiful best ball player. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, I've got. A couple of other guys who can fit into multiple places, Dominic Smith, Alec Bohm is first base, third base. At some point this season, I'm expecting I'll have Nolan Jones with third base slash outfield eligibility. And yeah, I,
0: my, so yeah, I will just the, to, to focus more on the third base strategy stuff. I wonder, and you know what, we're going to go through all these positions and we've done only a couple so far, but I wonder if third base is in the best state of any position right now. From a fantasy perspective, especially, uh, maybe not like a Major League Baseball perspective necessarily. I think uh, shortstop will probably be an interesting conversation to have there. But from the perspective of like, there are most leagues have 12 teams. Like if you miss at third base, like you have to actively try to, I think. Like I think you you really can like all 12 teams should be able to find a third baseman. And I think when we've done these positional thing, we did all of them last year and this is our second year doing them. I can't think of another position that we've done that, that really fits this like, third base in 2021 is really good. And I, I wonder why, from a, like a meta baseball perspective, we're not talking about like the golden age of third base right now. I know there's a lot of golden age of shortstop stuff, but like there are a lot of good third basemen right now. There
1: are. And I think I think the other side of that is that it's also just a position that, isn't rostered heavily in Audenew. Like I, a number of years ago, and these numbers have not been updated um, since 2017, but a number of years ago on the community site, I posted some data that I had collected on the typical number of players per position that are rostered after auction in Audenew leagues. And third base had the lowest of any of the singleton positions with 22. So in most leagues, people are not rostering enough pure third baseman to even fill their backup slots. So, which justifies what we were talking about before, where a lot of times your backup is somebody who has split eligibility. 26 for catcher, 25 for first base, 29 second baseman, and 35 shortstops. So you're almost going three deep at shortstop in in, in a typical auto new league. And then 22 third baseman, as I mentioned, and 95 outfielders. So I feel like it's a combination of, yeah, there's a lot of depth of the position. There's a lot of compelling players. And there's just not a lot of demand right now In terms of what auto new managers are doing at the position. So I think it, it, it combines to create a situation that, yeah, you have a lot to choose from. You don't have a lot of people chasing you. Like if you're bidding on a third baseman in auction, you're probably not getting too many other managers that are fighting you for that third baseman. So I think that there are very good values to be had, which means to me that I was looking at my rosters real quick. I think I have too many third basemen rostered already. I wish I didn't have as many so that I could take advantage of more deals at auction because it's one of those positions where I don't want to own three. Like, I don't want to have three on my roster, right? I mean, because I just can't, unless one of them has eligibility somewhere else, you, you're you really not going to get any benefit. Whereas obviously you can go eight or nine deep to the outfielder and still get functional value out of them or six middle infielders, you know, with three shortstops or even four shortstops, depending on who you're. Second baseman are, but first and third are a little unique in that you have first base, third base, and you have one utility spot, and then that's it. Like there's only so many places you can fit them in, so you don't want to get stuck with three third basemen because you're just not going to be able to play them. I just
0: wonder with after, especially after we just talked about first base, like third base just seems like a a more exciting and fun position compared to first.
1: And I have a note here as well that or I thought I did, but I'm, I'm making the note right now. I think the lines are blurred a little bit between first base and third base, as far as the baseline replacement level. I think it the gap isn't as wide as it used to be either. And again, that makes sense because we were talking about first base, seems like it's fallen on some hard times lately. So I think that there there's just not a big delta right now between, between the two positions, which by extension means that first base and outfielder aren't too far away from each other as compared to recent years as well, so.
2: All right. This, this is all just making me realize that I messed up my keepers in League One. <laughs> I've got Hoskins, Boyd, Suarez, Bohm, and Hosmer. There's just well, no reason to have kept Hosmer there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I like well,
2: Hosmer. I think he'll be good. But why do I have five middle or five corner infielders?
1: I was just looking at a league where I have a very similar situation, and I need to find it real quick. It was. I have Justin Turner, Eric Hosmer, Alec Bohm, and Bobby Dalbeck that I kept all four of them. So I basically shouldn't bid on a single first baseman or third baseman <laughs> in that auction because I don't know that I need five corner infielders that only have corner infield eligibility. So
0: the flip side of that, of course, is is that depth is eminently tradable. Like it is the easiest depth to move if you like mm-hmm. it's 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 a lot. What, what, I'm not no. sure.
1: I'm not sure corner infield is imminently tradable if you have that depth.
0: I feel well, like that's the hardest spot. Well, I mean, to, like you look at the guys that Chad just named. Like, there's production there that is. I think.
1: But I think you run into a situation where the, in general, those are teams. The other teams in your league are going to say, "Well, I don't need another first right, baseman or another right. third baseman.
0: Do you there have any shortstops?
1: Do you have any outfielders? <laughs> I need them. Do you have a starting pitcher? I need them. But
0: yeah, so maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe I think like when you're talking about the names that chad just mentioned but that's again that's like a trade strategy thing where like i don't think the person you trade of that list like you probably don't want to trade alec Boehm of that list and i don't think you actually get to move hosmer of that list like hoskins is probably the guy you move right right like that you have to move someone who might produce a little bit higher than you want just to get the return that you need in order to validate moving one of those guys yeah chad might love hosmer and like i think that's valid right there's like validity to that but you might have to take that like chad might have to take that bet but when you're looking at like one of the one of the sexier names on that list you'll definitely get return on the nicer names on that list right like the higher end names on the list you just have to make a choice that you end up trading the more premium name in order to get the return you're willing to give up or you're willing to get because like Hosmer is definitely going to get the response from at least eight people in league one that is I don't need Hosmer, man. Right, right. But yeah. Hoskins won't get that response, even though the production delta and the value, especially, may not be the way people think it is between those two. Anyway, we just started talking about first baseman and the third baseman episode, so maybe that's a sign that we should wrap it. Well, we 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 should wrap it
1: because I think we've said all we need to say about and we, we. You know, we had more to talk about, so
0: because we were a little more excited about that this position. We third base is awesome, man. I'm I'm really excited to see how some of these guys play this year yeah all right we are done
1: with this i'm not sure exactly which position we might do next week we will definitely do another one next week but some of that's up in the air because we're trying to coordinate some guests so we will you will you will find out what what position we do next when it's released you'll find out when we find out right right so all right as always thank you for listening and have a good night.